It is not yet afternoon, so good morning, friends. Um, my name is James Janus. I am a principal solution architect here at Microsoft. I think the talk was supposed to be Red Hat on Azure, so I quantified a little bit just to include it so that it's also more than just Red Hat buckets because other organizations may be using something beyond Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So are, you, are all of your companies using Red Hat Enterprise Linux right now? Or we use Suzy Linux. Use SUSE, okay. What about anyone else is using Linux in the organization? What are you using? Um, whatever flavor I teach it. So. Oh, okay. You teach it for work in general. No, I teach it. I, I'm a private professor. Ah, okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. So, what we'll um, what we'll discuss is basically Linux on that. For those of you, just some background. Um, I've been at Microsoft for about a year now. Um, prior to joining Microsoft, I used to work at Red Hat. Uh, I worked at Red Hat for probably seven years, six and a half, seven years. Before working at Red Hat, I ran a marine laboratory in Maine, uh, oceanographic marine laboratory. I did the IT department. I mean, that was really from 2001 to 2011. And then before that, uh, I did some IT I like history. I love history. Um, so one of the things that I, I talk about, my dad used to tell me that a computer exists to, uh, basically a computer is a poor replication of the vast receptionist that any business was really run by the receptionist. They knew what the CEO was doing, they knew what the staff was doing, and that person held all the knowledge that they had in business. Uh, my dad did computer work in the 60s. I swore I would never do it. Um, and then, you know, you get married and have kids, and I'm an art major, and art didn't pay bills, and computers did. So, um, that's some of the background. And I will also add one other component. Um, my last year of college, I took a class on design, graphic design. Top of the building in school was the Apple lab, design lab. We had a whole bunch of apples, I ran that lab, uh, Apple talk, all that stuff. At the bottom of the school was the uh, typography, so the hand letter press was down there. So I would, in the evenings in class, we would set type by hand, and then we'd go upstairs and then do design on these computers. So there's a lot that's changed, obviously, between 1993. So, um, it also used to be that historically, the division between people who did Linux and Windows was a hard division in, I would say, society, maybe, or at least in companies, you're either a Windows person or a Linux person, but rarely were you both. Um, I have lots of requirements and work to support people who do all these things, and so I learned to support all these tools. What does that mean? Um, in 2014, Red Hat and Microsoft issued a joint statement where there were Red Hat engineers and Microsoft engineers working together. And at the time, I was working with Red Hat, and I'm like, that's really odd. That's kind of strange. Um, because I just grew up using Linux for everything in my professional career. So the idea that Red Hat engineers would be on site with Windows and Microsoft engineers was a, a different thing. It turned out, um, Red Hat has a program which is called uh, the Cloud 
access model, which is if you're a rented customer, you can deploy your workloads in any public cloud, whether it's Fortune um, and Red Hat. And Microsoft did this arrangement to make sure that your experience with Red Hat in Azure was supported both by Microsoft and Red Hat. It also meant there was lots of engineering work going on at Microsoft with Lemmings as well. Um, so that was 2014, fast forward five years. I think in 2014, Satya Noah says, I can For those of us in the IT world, we're like, okay, what does this mean? Um, what it meant was on your Android phone, you can see like Excel applications, you can see like all these Microsoft applications showing up. And I was like, well, it's a new world now. Um, and Microsoft realized that in order, in order to move forward, we had to meet customers where they were. The idea of imposing what we think you should do is no longer an idea. Um, really, whatever tools, you need to use if they're in the open source community, you probably run in Azure. So if you could run something on Linux as an open source tool, and you can run Linux in Azure, then that means your capabilities are limited just by your imagination, not by So having said that, Microsoft is two things, focused on open source. Uh, open source is really um, where a lot of the innovation happens. And it happens because Open source means all this is open to the local community participant. And the strength of something is really a reflection of the participants. So if you want a better solution for a problem, sometimes you need a better set of eyes all the way around the community. And that's what open source represents. Um, you can't hire all the people in the world to help solve your problems. So you really had to get um, You need to share what you're doing. And for people who love to support it and contribute, they can do that in the open community. That becomes a project, and those projects that in turn become support offerings. So, but um, Enterprise Linux, for instance, actually is based off of the upstream project of this Fedora. And Fedora, so Fedora does RHEL, and then from RHEL comes CentOS. Right? So that's the relationship. The community project is Fedora. The support offering is um, RHEL. So if I'm saying stuff that you already know, please stop me. I just want to make sure what I need to piece So, what does this mean as it comes to Azure? Um, many of the services that Azure actually got on the next one. You can use it for testing and see what comes back as a, as a we'll see, more data Debian. I thought it was a joke, it's not a joke. These are services that are running Debian already. Um, key services inside of Azure are running on Linux. So, um, what does that mean for you? This becomes a, a landing spot for your workloads, whether that is SUSE Linux or there are supported Linux um, offerings as well, specifically. Um, but in general, RHEL is there, uh, Red Enterprise Linux is there, I'll try to get some refrain from that because SUSE Linux is there, um, several different ones are there. Um, this is not a problem, uh, I'm not a company that's so using Azure, so this is not just. Um, Linux workflow, but in general, Azure has become the uh, de facto place for lots of corporations to move work, primarily because it's software quite nascent. And it's a scale, it's a global scale. So if you are a company doing work, or if you are a person with an idea, your scope now is no longer just for the labor movement. Because I had to buy my 
because of the laptop those days are gone. Um, I can run that service inside of Azure, and if it's something that's important that the rest of the world really sees as important, it's easy to scale that application up so that it can help or be used and consumed by the rest of the world. That's a whole different framework than 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago. So lots of large companies are using um, Azure right now. I was going to see if there's anybody from my talk in front of it, but there is on this one. Um, 2014, my current CEO, Seth Dallas, has Microsoft Athletics. It turns out it's very true. Uh, the latest release, the latest device that came out, I think it's a 17 Duo. Uh, that's actually Android underneath. The OS is Android. So the interface is actually from Microsoft. And if you're familiar with Linux, like we've got this kernel, we have all these um, desktop interfaces that you can switch out whether it's KDE or XFCE or GNOME or you name it, right? Well, they have actually not just taken the Windows interface and put it on top of Linux. So um, it's a beautiful way to do work because now it really frees up Microsoft to focus on the interaction that customers have with the technology. Because the world community is about being external, and Microsoft can leverage that inside So, customers moving their workloads to, um, to Azure. I think that's number, oh, it's going up. Um, last time I saw that, it was 40%. Um, the majority of the workloads that run most of like businesses are Linux, and those are now moving to Azure. Most of the reason people move to Azure is because it's very expensive running on data center. So if you are familiar with um, power usage efficiency, I don't know if anybody runs data centers down here, but um, that's the relative efficiency of the data center. Ideally, that number is one lot of power coming in, and that there's no loss, and that goes right to the workloads. Most data centers run at 1.25. That's the need that you use. Um, our Microsoft Azure data centers are getting closer and closer to one So the idea is that ultimately, if there's no loss, what you are consuming is actually what you're paying not wasting money because the data centers are highly efficient. And if you're a global company, there are Azure data centers globally, which you should use your workloads globally as well. So I'm afraid that's Again. Um, so at that point, you could have had workloads being done in multiple continents, right? So if you do your workloads in Germany, it's very easy to move those workloads right over into another region that you should be anywhere else where Azure exists. So if they had people, let's say, in Southern California doing workloads, then they could deploy those workloads right in the Southern California region without re engineering them. So that they get all of the benefits of these amazing efficient data centers without having to run them themselves and they simply pay for what they use. And the costs are fairly reasonable compared to what they have Um please stop me at any time if you have questions because I will try not to geek out the gallows. Um so uh within Azure there are several marketplace images that, that ship um, there's Ubuntu, 
there's Debian proper. Um, there are Realm images, so you can use your own enterprise-based image that you bring with your company, or you can use a marketplace image. The marketplace image actually includes uh, support as well. So you pay for that enterprise-based There's a subscription fee for that. Um, if you use the one from the marketplace, the marketplace includes that fee. But if you have your own subscription, you can deploy that into that. So, your question. Yeah, actually. So, Realm does, they do have the development program. Yes. Can you use the developer license in Azure? Um, I tried like importing, yeah, I don't know. setting up a hybrid VM and then locally and then, right. and then doing an export into Azure. And I, I, you mean? So, if I wanted to, if I wanted to just set up Realm on So technically, I, mean, I don't see why uh, would Yeah, yeah. No, you just have to set it up, set up the license. Right. So when you do the developer subscription, mm -hmm. that's that's going to be you'll yes. register that back to Red Hat proper. Right. So yeah. as long as you can convert your image from Hyper V, well, you can do a Hyper V. Right. Well, I just okay. I built it. I built it locally. Okay. And then there's going to be Right. So there are a couple of ways you can do that, okay. um, but the short answer is yes, because that's effectively bring your own that's what I would think. subscription. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. all you do is you'll import that in to Azure. There's Azure Migrate oh, that okay. for you. So if you have a hypervisor, you can follow the Azure Migrate process, which will look at your environment, find that virtual machine, give you the options to move that into a workspace into Azure. Once you're okay with that, you say yes to the checkbox, it'll migrate your machine from your laptop or your server into Azure and your VMAP in your subscription. And then at that point, the machine's already registered with Red Hat property. So if you need to install a software, it's going to go back up to um, technically most, well, you're not, you'll be going back to RHM proper, which is uh, Red Hat support for those packages. Yeah. Um, if you are not using bring your own subscriptions, then the marketplace image will look at what's called an update server, which lives inside of Azure. And the difference between that and Red Hat Network is that the update server just has the current packages. Whatever's current inside of Red Hat, that's always on the update server. If you were to go back to Red Hat Network, for instance, you could deploy an older version of RHEL if you wanted to, perhaps for, um, and you may already know this, the way the Red Hat subscription works. When you purchase a subscription, you have access to all the bits from Red Hat going back to Red Hat 2.1. Red Hat Mudflakes 2.1. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't ever recommend deploying that, because I don't know what updates would really happen for that really, but you could technically do that and then deploy that. But um, Red Hat update infrastructure does not include it's just probably RELS, maybe RELS 6 or 7 or 8. So, what's um, the answer question? Yes, you can let us know. Sorry. No, that's fine. Please, if there are questions, interrupt because 
I want to make sure the content is relevant for you and helps you. My job here is to help get your questions answered so you can do more than you want. With the least amount of problems possible. Um, I just love learning this stuff. I got my own issues. I've been working right after that. So, uh, so uh, and, and most of these workloads that you'll see in Azure uh, are based on Linux, so you know that you can live Kubernetes by any chance. Um, there's uh, an offering called Azure Kubernetes AS, which is all based on Linux too. But um, if you wanted to run Red Hat's offering OpenShift, you can deploy OpenShift in Azure, right? So you can run your inline workloads on OpenShift, and OpenShift actually is more than just running containers. You can deploy OpenShift and write code in OpenShift. Ties back into assessing pipeline, and then you can deploy that as a container, as a industry standard container. I think that's the most important part. And that container can run APS process. So, are you all familiar with containerized workloads by any chance, to some degree? Um, what do you want to know about them? Is there another question? Is it relevant? Yeah, the five minute story is um, containers allow you to package up into a file format your application library and libraries. So uh, you don't have to have a full operating system. You just need to have an operating system that supports the containerized workloads, and then that can get up run. As long as it's to this, there's a sort of an independent standard that Red Hat helped establish for containerized workloads, because initially they thought. And, and one of the things that open source communities try to do is set standards that are not proprietary so that your workloads can run on your containers, you can develop an open chip and run on Azure, but it can also run on your desktop too, right? It's not tied to any particular proprietary information. So part of the reason that companies might move to things like workloads is they may have an application that's like 15 years old. Or the developers may have retired, whatever, some company may have no longer produced it, but they can containerize that workload. They can put it in the Docker container or container in general, and then put that container on a registry. And then any place that you can run containers, an application can run. So it frees you up from having to maintain the operating system, all the work of the and things like that, and just looking at what the application can do. You can pay. Storage too, so that as your application is around, um, there's sort of unstateless workloads and stateful workloads and things like that. But ideas, um, you don't have to manage the VMs anymore, which is where a lot of work happens for most organizations. You can focus on the application itself. Um, what are we in? We're in 2019. So when containers came out, I would say roughly, is it to Kubernetes actually came out from Google. That had and Google that worked together to produce the earlier versions of Kubernetes. Um, and then Docker was coming out at the same time. Right? So all this stuff has happened like late 2013, 2014, was creating a lot, lot less. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Really, like there were all these different ways that workloads could have been done. And it ended up that Kubernetes finally became the standard along with Docker formatting files. So, um, but it took, it's really taken probably five years. I mean, in the industry, we had no tools, but we 
reveal that that we post on Kubernetes. So now you'll see Kubernetes everywhere. You'll see it in their offerings, you'll see it here, you'll see it across the board, even the whole swap that they were using, and that's not the raise underneath because it is the standard by which most organizations work. That's the thing. So it just gets better. There was something I was just thinking about in the discussion, but maybe it'll come back. The bigger part of all of this is um, and what you'll see in Azure. I just remember Microsoft has changed in a way that whatever tools you need will work best for you, you probably find them in the runtime of Azure. I was shocked to hear that when I first told them. People like, what you want? What they talk about? I've never heard Microsoft say that. Bring whatever you want. If you like Linux, bring Linux. If you like, I have not seen the Mac OS box, so I will say that. Right? There are people who use it, but I don't think it's supported virtualized Mac OS environments. I don't know many people who are using Mac OS or the It used to be fine where it was there, not anymore. So, um, usually most of the Linux distributions are there. Um, obviously, the Linux stuff is there as well. So. These are some of the customers, and uh, the one I work with most, uh, most of the time is not on here, so I'm not going to put the name out there. Um, I, at Red Hat, they used to cover KPMG, but they were looking to get myself to open ship. The goal is to do those workloads inside of Azure. Why? Because it's a global company and they need global resources. Azure is easy to do. Even if you're a local company, if you design your application properly, like you design it in an SLA environment, you go to HA, resiliency, all these things. Azure makes it an easier place to run that at scale. So that's why you see these companies doing this because it's very costly in Azure. And frankly, we think all the money we use on Azure projects. Um, there are a ton of computing options, and I mean a ton. The Azure VMs come in all these different stripes and flavors. Um, when I started, it was my Um The beauty of it, though, is Azure, as you begin to use it, will monitor what your VMs are doing for you and, and let you know, hey, your VMs are at 80 or 90% capacity on upgrade to a larger VM that has more resources available. Um, so you're not always at the limit of functionality. On the opposite side, if you've got a VM provision, with, I don't know, 30 gigabytes of memory, and over time the reporting comes back and says you're only using 10% of all those resources, the recommendation would be to resize that workload. Right? Two things are happening. It's you shouldn't have to use more than you need, that's the first condition. Um, the best way is the goal is to make your experience as Azure cost effective with you. So we'll tell you ways that you'll have to spend as much money and save. The other part, and we talked about uh, resiliency and SLAs. This, you ever did stuff, you know, get a system pass, you better do an SLA and get a customer, and say, you know what, we'll guarantee you three lines or four lines or nine lines on this. Um, this is just for the single VM, right? If you just deploy a VM inside of Azure right now, that SLA is nine, three nines. There are ways for you to make it four nines and five nines. Um, it's a little bit more expensive, but that those options do exist for the inside of Azure. So 
This is just on the VM side. Um, what about some of the VMs? What about this Um, and everything you can design through your SLA, like it makes you like really easy. So you can play an investor on the three guys support, right? And you have to make sure that you're and you can start things like There are other ways here to save money. And I mean, you know about some of these. If you don't, please, if this is really neat information, please stop me and let me know. Um, but there are ways for you to save money for your instances. So you can just buy a machine for a year or for two years. Guaranteed that price for the time period. So it ends up being a more cost effective way for you to work this performance. And then most companies will do an enterprise agreement, and, or you can do pay as you as well. So all three have different sort of pricing models, but it really depends on um, how much your budget is and how much you want to spend. I often like to tell people that it's easier to run. There are calculators that exist to give you rough guidelines. It's easier to deploy the workload than have real data. I like to work on the real data. So I'm running the workload off and then I see what's going to cost. Then I can go back to the budget and the finances and what based on what we specify this is going to cost us to work on the It takes the best of There's a there's an investigator as well. So the reason they're putting this behind here originally all this was just for Windows, right? So the, the message to take away is whatever you're doing for Windows right now. The same functionality exists for Linux, which means for your environment, if you're deploying both platforms in Azure, it's the same experience. You don't have to decide whether this for Windows or this for Linux. All these functions. Um, yeah, this, this is the stuff that I love, right? Because um, if you like the command line, um, I live in. I, I, I lived in that was my life. The lowest common denominator of all the systems I had was the AI. So um, I learned how to do the work without a GUI. Right? So you had that option, you have PowerShell for Linux that's in here. Um, these are all the services that are available on right now. Rebug, Azure Kubernetes, um, Azure Active Directory. Like this is not just an issue for Linux. Your whole environment when you decide to deploy in Azure will be determined by your active directory tenant, things fit inside of that, and that's your identity platform. Um, but everything else, you want to run MySQL, you want to run Postgres, all the stuff that you do in the Linux environments, guess what? Right here in Azure the same way. So that if it's supported on Red Hat Enterprise Linux, outside of that, just if Red Hat says it is supported, it's supported in Azure. So you don't have to wonder. SUSE is along the same lines. So, um, are there questions before I go on? Is this information valuable for you? If not, please let me know and I'll change directions. You asked about moving your workloads from one environment to the other. So Azure Migrate exists. It is, um, it, from my view, it's dead simple. Like, you can point Azure Migrate to your, to your source environment, tell it where to send your VMs, what tenant, what subscription, press go, walk away, come back to the, it really will depend on your bandwidth, like your throughput, the size of the VMs, if it's a small VM, in short order, that VM will be really important for you inside of Azure. So if you need to do a data center migration, for instance, and we got a bunch of Linux VMs, just, and then run on VMware, 
So most of the same functionality. In fact, um, you can do address type disconnecting, but most people will do it also for also the biggest issues for identity. Let's get on here. One would be called security. Um, when you do your address stack, you will look at your address for identity, and um, then you can just propagate those roles. It's just not going to be an Also, right there, and there could be. I mean, it, it's. I know places where the board of directors would say, look, we're not going to allow certain workloads to be on camera. You know, and, and there, there may be some policy reasons that we would do this, not technical reasons. He's the kingdom. I don't feel comfortable with meeting my, my full points for whatever reason. Okay. We can have the same functionality, just do it on this device. And that way, as soon as people start to realize that security is not an afterthought of Microsoft, so, one of the things about that was SE Linux, C groups, all that security was a big thing. People sometimes would turn off as they would break an application or whatever in the early days. It's big in security by default. You don't get the option to make it less secure here by default unless you choose to open it up and give people access to it. But you have to choose to do that. So, as customers and users become more comfortable with the idea, Understand security model that Microsoft presents. They might be able to move the workloads into Azure. And if they've done Azure's packages, it's easy to do that. So. Um, the other part that I do especially like uh, is rather monitoring. So, so all the services you deploy in Azure are monitored for your tenants. It's not monitoring the week that Microsoft looks at. It's your application. So you can see what's going on across the CPU, memory, disk I.O., with whatever you need, that monitoring system is not monitoring. And it's there by default, right? Everything has something that monitoring that reports back and you can understand what's going on. So anywhere else you would deploy like you know, you have to figure out all the solutions to do that. It's just a big thing with Azure. There's configuration management as well, which I love, as you should know. You can know the end state before you deploy it, right? And um, if it drifts or changes, you either can change it back to what it should be, which you have defined it to be, or you can say, why did it change? Let me figure that out. Because I can default to the other model, which is this is the defined state. It shouldn't be that unless we change the defined state upstream. Um, and probably, most important is the governance. Um, inside of Azure, you can do, uh, there are ways for you to guarantee that workloads live in certain regions, under certain subscriptions, with certain policies and access. This is independent, whether it is a Linux VM or a Windows VM. This is just governance of resources inside of Azure. So I can spend a lot of time in that space because that's more of the model of. Let me define what it should be before it's It's a computer, right? Humans wrote the code. I know what the environment should be before Let me model that and then deploy that production. Because I know I'm going to have to answer to somebody for what's been done. I can point to them to the blueprint, the policy, then we know the answer of the environment before the deployment. 
Um, are there questions? Am I talking too fast? Yes, sir. It's kind of related to what you talked about uh, earlier in terms of licensing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so does Red Hat uh, can we deploy the, the same kind of uh, using the same license that we buy for an enterprise uh, Red Hat? Yes. Service? Cloud and would they also guarantee the same kind of support? Like yes. So they would, uh, even if it's on Azure, they would kind of give us the same kind of support. Yes. In fact, those support engineers are in Red Hat. Red Hat engineers are sitting basically side by side with Microsoft engineers in Seattle, Washington. Red So yes, the answer is, um, and that's part of, that was part of the, the, the wisdom of Red Hat. That cloud model, right? when you tell Red Hat, I want to deploy my workloads in a cloud provider. Red Hat then submits some the back end work to tell the cloud providers, you know what, this customer has indicated they want to do this. So when you see the work, their workloads in their environment, they have support from us. The subscriptions will work there in those environments. So you don't have to redo the one another. Art is like a pattern fly, and um, I'm not technically in the sense of um, infrastructure and everything. I'm program but my intention was kind of uh, currently we have a, a Solaris environment so that, mm -hmm. and for us to go into cloud we have to choose between uh, a hybrid environment we're already in the data center down it's telling if you want to go into cloud our step would be to kind of go into uh, a simpler environment which probably closest is Linux uh, so from Solaris we'll be moving into Linux all the applications that we have and then post them that's the part, that's a, the broad uh, yeah. stroke as of this moment. That, yeah. That's what we want to do. But I'm trying to understand like, uh, like what are the moving parts there. Like first the licensing, if we've already had the licensing for uh, Solaris or Linux, you want to kind of reuse them and start with uh, right. them and then move into them. You can do that on Red Hat. Um, obviously, I'm so Right. I mean, our intention was kind of move from right. the right. closest we could get to is Linux. So we want to move everything right. from Solaris into Linux, and then right. Okay. Right. So, given where you are, and um, you do have several options, you migrate from. You could do a migration from Solaris to Linux, depending on the application itself. You might you could refactor the application so that it could use maybe containerized. And if it sits in a container, then you can deploy that container on Kubernetes, whether that's on prem or on Azure. So there, you, you have a couple of ways. I don't know your, your environment, but those are some of the paths that, only, that customers take, right? We're on Solaris. Um, the first thing is to migrate off Solaris to a platform that you can run with that, which would be Linux. Whether that's Red Hat or SUSE. In the case of Red Hat, once you have the subscriptions, you can move those subscriptions so they can be used in Azure without additional cost for the subscription. You just pay for your VMs, like CPU, memory storage, things like that, but not the subscription. You want to pay for that. And then if you have a problem within the environment, you can get a phone call right back. And there, most engineers are literally not far from each other. So I mean that's really that's really the goal of Microsoft is you can run your workloads 
where our task is to do it to keep on and support it in as much as possible. You don't have to basically leave behind all of your knowledge and expertise just to go to the passion. That's that doesn't help you at all. You've got all this experience, you can never get right professional. Microsoft wasn't in the picture. I mean the whole agency is moving towards Microsoft. In, in our particular agency, but then ours is a small uh, subset. And we've always thought about Amazon because it had this uh, experience in like Linux, and everything. but now we can probably co integrate with the whole agency because Linux is available on Yeah, yeah. Um, the difference is um, you, know, you can run Linux workloads in Amazon too. You can run Linux workloads in Google as well. There's lots of places to run Linux workloads. Biggest difference is like most practice. Those were that engineers instead of Microsoft engineers. Right? That's a unique part of the support model Microsoft has. Other companies do So when that came out in 2014, I was thinking, what does that mean? Well, it means basically these these engineering groups are working side by side. So that means you can call. And also, there are you know, specific federal or government cloud environments from federal agencies and patents from kind of other agencies that use them today. And if so, those are proposed to be patented. The same kind of functionality or the same kind of services are available in the federal cloud as well. Yes, yeah. There are occasions where some. Um, where some services will lag in the federal space. Um, and part of that is um, there's a different kind of engineering, right? There's a whole bunch of things we have to do. So those are distinct clouds where Microsoft works. You have Azure, which is the general cloud, which anybody can use support for them. Then there are the US government clouds, the federal clouds. Those are just technical forces and agencies, yeah, but they are separate and distinct. So if you have an Azure workload in the federal cloud, it's not going to be connected to the Azure workload in like the non-federal cloud and the public cloud. So, um, but yes, in most cases, there are there are some times where something gets released. All the new stuff frankly goes in the public, in the general public cloud. That's why you see sometimes some folks might be a little bit, a little bit behind in the federal space. As engineering makes sure that it meets the federal criteria. That's the rule. That's what that these services are. But from a security standpoint, I would take a look at the federal security because just like this, operates the same way. Just with more security, federal security. Um, let's see. Uh, Azure cost management. Um, most organizations don't factor in on-prem, or just a lot of on-prem costs that are not accurately reflected in the overhead. So what you're going to see on Microsoft is cost management. So if you deploy these workloads, we'll tell you how to save money and how to save money. So effectively, um, we don't want to waste money. You don't want to waste money. You just need to work out some of the information that we The other aspect of this, which I think about this. Um, if 
you have resources deployed that are over-permissioned and not used, then that means it's, um, that means the space in the, in the data center is not being efficiently used either. Right? So that means there's less workspace. So if you want to do something else and there's no resource available because you may have one or two boxes that are over-permissioned, that's not good. So if you were to resize those to the workload appropriate size, then that frees up the Azure data center to have more resources. So there's lots of, there's a lot of other stuff that goes on behind the scenes. The goal is to make sure always there are resources. From a two-way standpoint, um, like I said, I love Shell. So you know, there's, there's PowerShell here from what we've had. Um, you know, there's all these DevOps tools. Um, and some of these, these are these are separate projects, right? Um, as you know, GitHub is part of uh, Microsoft now, so um, you've got Jacob's developer tests, Terraform deploy, Ansible operations, so configuration management. Terraform might be how you model your your data center right as code, uh, and then deploy it. So, um, and then the reality is, a little old school, it's always version control, right? Before you commit anything to production, even on your desktop, right? Get somewhere else to your desktop like pod. That's why I grew up. So I always have like CVS somewhere. I make a change, I commit it to that, and then push it out. So that's what you have like this from. The idea is that you start looking at infrastructure as a code and model that back. Um, these are the distributions that are currently supported. So as you can see, Swiss is here. SUSE, there's open there's Oracle, uh, Red Hat, SimpleOS, Ubuntu, Debian, Popper, and CoreOS. So, CoreOS was created because there are some people who felt like the, the general relief, the general call was too big and too much stuff, that's they created the small of CoreOS. CoreOS actually is the foundation on which Open Generation 4 runs here. So, um, there are lots of ways for you to do your workloads in Azure if you use Linux, whichever Linux is the best for your organization. Hopefully, it's one of these to run instead of Azure. Which basically means you don't have to relearn how to do something just because you're doing it in Azure. You don't have to do any platform just because you're doing Azure. Leverage what you've used in the past and move forward. How are we over time? Are we supposed to end up on time? There's life, so if people want to be late for lunch, okay. All right. Um, so, those are the distributions. Also, if you use um, RHEL, Red Hat offerings, all Red Hat offerings are listed on that URL, and I'll put this in there. Um, so you can mail it if you want to. Two things, I'm not sure. We talked about Red Hat integrated support, so you were asking what happens to your problem with RHEL. Or any Red Hat offering, right? Um, these on site, right, with Microsoft employees, Microsoft support. So between if there's an issue in Azure or there's an issue in your Red Hat offering, both of those resources are now on site. Actually, when you deploy a Red Hat instance, if you did not know this, it will log 
you can have a blade with the Red Hat portal. So that when you deploy it, when you use a Morpheus shield, um, it actually goes right to the Red Hat portal. So you can upload the support case with Red Hat directly from Azure. Well, I mean, it's on the Red Hat portal, but through Azure. So those things are all tied together to make sure that basically everybody involved in that world on the top is A, unique up, and B, Um, let's see. I think it's that. You just sometimes because I think that you don't know if you're using specifically that. Hi. This is not a world I would have ever expected from Microsoft like years ago. So to see this slide, like, oh my god, right? You got all this stuff, free DFC, Oracle rights, you name the flavor, people want. Um, you've got all of your databases, MySQL, Postgres, MongoDB, SAP, your app frameworks, if you work in Ruby, Golang, you name it. So the reality is, it is a platform for you to work whenever you work this, where it gives you that most likely requirements on that. Let's see. This is all about Nike Advantage. So basically, the work that you do in Azure is the work you do. We're not there to take your work. Microsoft is not there to look at what you do and turn it into a business. That's, that work is your work. So we can use the technical. At least with some customers do that. Um, I think we talked about this the migration already. And a minute over. Um, you asked about moving from Solaris to, to Linux. These are some of the options, right? So you could you could just go from Solaris to Linux. If you know the application itself, you can refactor that application. So that it could, you don't have to worry about the office underneath. That's what the containerized app. You can containerize your application as it is and run that in Azure on AWS, for instance. The next step would be, you know what? Maybe I want to move that application and then have it be based off my API. Right? So you refactor the application the API develop first. And then deploy that in the API and do like well better ways that that service is considered, whether that's Ruby or command line, whatever. Because that's what Red Hat does now with their work. They do their development first, API first, Ruby makes API first. In the API, they know development GUI, they call it makes API calls, the mailing makes API calls, all these things just connect to API. So those are some of the options that are the resources for staff. It's like the architecture where you can use it. It's like the SOA. Oh, so you could probably, I would think you could probably move that right off of there. So those are some of the options. I just want to make sure like, you should not look at Azure as the bottom line for, for your path forward. I, was, I always say this way is how I want to move forward. I'm going to stop because I still want to have some more slides here that was over time. And I started late too. So. I mean, if nobody's running out now. Okay. All right. Um, we talked about Azure Migrate. Um, it's, it's the old book of Windows and Enterprise. Um, that's a no, that's, that's, 
Sign recovery is there for the Uyghur Data Center in the Azure. You can basically do um, failovers in Azure or fail back on the um, on-prem resources. So, database migration service. Um, and you may already know this that SQL Server runs on. That happens? Oh, yeah. I lost my mind. Yeah. I'm like, what? So, yeah. they even run SQL Server on Red Enterprise. I'm like, what's the world come to? So, there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Um, and for if you, for instance, have more data, you can just do data bots. Um, so you could technically plug this into your network, move your data over here, and then move all that into Azure as well. So there's several ways you can move your workloads from on-prem to Azure, or you can move it back for disaster coverage. Um, Microsoft has acquired there, so those are some of the tools to, to migrate data centers from on-prem into Azure as a whole. These are about things I made. That's what I love the most because the amount of money that they're saving by running some workloads in Azure is because they can really, instead of full provisioning the environments for on-prem, you just run what you need and you can pay for your business and your savings. It's most operation costs. So I think that's the last slide. Other questions around it that you might have. Well, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Um, know that Linux is love at Microsoft. It really is. The fact I'm here tells you that. So, thank you.